And we are live with our 36th episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson, uh, known as at CK Tricky on Twitter and uh, Santa's helper this year, joined by my co-host, <laughs> Seth Law. Seth, say yeah. hi. <laughs> at Seth Law on Twitter. Apparently it's Aunt Santa Tricky now. Is that what we're going for? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gloriously uh, uh, ready for, for Christmas this year, so... <laughs> It's you know, I was, I was expecting an ugly sweater, but apparently we're just we just wear wreaths as necklaces, right? This is like a flavor flav. I take I take what we do here very seriously in this podcast, <clears throat> and I think that this 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 outfit demonstrates that perfectly. Perfectly. <clears throat> now, I think a part of that is that is that we've got Mike McCabe joining us tonight. Uh, Mike, go ahead and say hi. <clears throat> Hi, I'm Mike McCabe at McCabe615. Nothing too creative for uh, Twitter, unlike you guys. Uh, um, unlike me and yours is Seth Law. It's literally I, Seth Law. Yeah, but his last name is Law. You can basically make anything out of that, and it'd be good. <laughs> Bob blah blah was a was a was a <laughs> yeah. So for Seth keeps Seth keeps changing his Twitter name, and it's confusing. So can you just stop doing that? <laughs> I, and if I, you don't. Uh, yeah, and I should I should explain. Every year I've known I've known Mike for quite some time. Seth's known Mike quite for quite some time, and ever since I've known Mike, he's not been the biggest fan of uh, people putting up Christmas decorations pre pre Thanksgiving. So this this glorious festivity setup is specifically for Mike's in honor of Mike's podcast appearance this evening. Yeah, you look like a sale at Michael's. Is what you look like. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I take that as a compliment. Yeah, appreciate that. You are the five ninety nine bin at Michael's right now. Oh <laughs> uh, well, you know I'm not cheap though. I would let's not go too far. So <clears throat> on a you know like I said, take taking things really seriously here. Uh, on a serious note, um, Mike is so. Let's talk about Mike for a second. So Mike has spoken at uh, AppSec Cali. He's spoken at LastCon. He's um, done B sides. Uh, he's spoken at B sides. Um, and I think I think Mike, what's interesting about your background is that you've worked at places like you've worked at places like Living Social, which you know you and I worked there together. That was a really like you know move fast, break break all the things, never fix it, and kind of place and. Uh, all the way to having built a consulting team and you and your glorious Gantt charts and doing, you know, like uh, <laughs> both building out the practice, uh, like the technical practice, what, what's, de what's delivered by the practice to like, you know, managing the team and, and things like that to like having done enterprise security level work uh, at a big financial capital one. Um, so you, and now you own your own firm. Uh, MBM consultants, correct me if I'm wrong. Yep. Right. So I think you have some stories to share. That's why obviously we had you on the podcast. Um, so we'll, uh, I think we'll just jump right into it. Cause Seth, we don't have an absolute, we don't have a, an AppSec minute, uh, this, this week, do we? Uh, not necessarily. Right. I mean, we could probably talk a little bit. One, one thing I've been dealing with recently is the kind of the difference, like, um, <clears throat> Burp recently are, are a lot of uh, I, I, like the difference between cross-site scripting and input validation or input input reflection, 
I, I don't know if you've dealt with that a lot. Mike, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it in Burp Suite recently, right? Talking about if it classifies something as just not being validated or are you talking about it calling it cross-site scripting? Well, I, I'm talking about uh, you know how it's basically one in the same vulnerability, but it's just the exploitation uh, is is limited in one case, right? So you've got cross-site scripting vulnerabilities. You can get your pop-up because it's HTML. Uh, your browser recognizes it as HTML versus you know something that's like JSON. It makes an XML HTTP request and it comes back as blob and it contains HTML characters but it never never gets executed or you don't necessarily get the pop-up. So Burke classifies it as, you know, it's confirmed that there is a vulnerability there that, you know, this, this data has not been encoded, but it doesn't necessarily equate to full cross-site scripting. So the severity isn't as high, right? Um, and I like I keep going back and forth, right? Sometimes like I, I usually include that in my reports. I'm not sure about the two of you because it is an input validation problem and it can result in cross-site scripting, but it's not necessarily confirmed cross-site scripting. So I kind of wanted your thoughts on, hey, I mean, is it something that should be called out or is it something that you know we could just ignore because it is all JSON encoded? Yeah, I mean, I've always been on the side of being a little more cautious, just in the sense of uh, even if it's not a problem now, it could be a problem in the future. I mean, you can have you can have a lot of bad things that aren't necessarily exploitable right now, but some change in the front end code and that does become cross site scripting. So, um, I mean, I always think you should treat things securely at the back end. So, whatever you send in should be validated. Whatever you get back should be you know encoded properly. So, um, I know most front end. Uh, you know, frameworks like Angular and React do templating and coding. So you can't, in theory, uh, get cross-site scripting without disabling some functionality. But I don't know. I've always thought you should, you know, have good inputs and outputs. So it makes sense just from uh, building it securely now so it doesn't become a problem in the future kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with that. Ken, what are your thoughts on that? If you don't validate <laughs> your input... I'll watch you in your dreams. I don't know. Uh, on a serious note, yeah, I agree with you. What you guys said, I have nothing further to add besides scaring people with this. You need shelf, to be controversial on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. I like my, the the one. Okay. So the one thing that I wanted to call out, Mike, that you said is that hey, it's got to be output encoded, and like. Like when I look at JSON output encoding, it doesn't necessarily mean that you you know output encode the greater than or the less than sign. Uh, it, I, although I agree, like you know from an HTML perspective, that's got to be handled. I almost think it falls more on the input validation side than it does on the output encoding side because it isn't being checked as it comes in. But uh, so I like I can go both. Well, yeah, I, I kind of. I go back and forth, I guess is what I'm saying, as far as where I classify it. Um, but I do agree that the, the the input as it comes in should be validated. So I guess that's where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, it's become so complex now. It used to be just input and output and if something ended up in HTML or JavaScript and whether it was encoded or not, that meant it was exploitable. Yeah. But now with frameworks and how much manipulation goes on with the data from the back end, it's hard to say you know what's actually gonna happen, so. A lot of times it'll be perfectly safe, and a lot of times it will go through some transformation or get you know put into some custom code that then makes it exploitable. So uh, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, uh, better safe than sorry, but 
it all depends on the use case. There's cool. no golden rule. It's contextual. And um, yeah, to have a CSP. Can't, can't stress that enough. Have a CSP. Yeah, have a CSP. There you go. The, the infrastructure wonderland that is GitHub. You're probably going to screw it up. You're probably going to screw up uh, getting it. You know, you're definitely going to introduce XSS at some point, most likely, right? So have a CSP to be your backup there. <clears throat> yeah, Those definitely. Yeah, I found yeah, I found cross-site scripting and some like header tag recently, or I think it was like a host tag that got like displayed back in. And then they it was in JSON, but they didn't tag it as JSON in the in the response headers, right? So I, those are the kind of issues that can exist and that can come from it. So anyway, yeah. sorry, like I, I guess I did derail into an AppSec minute or an AppSec five minutes. So anyway, that's eh, all AppSec related. We can derail it as much as we want. Obviously, it's a super professional podcast. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how seriously clearly. I can take you today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but is that any different from any other day like i just have more decorations now so yeah so mike let's talk about you buddy sure. no but uh let's talk about your origin story obviously i know i know a bit about quite a bit about you um but can you share you know like how you went from sort of well why you got into security is always one of the most interesting, like how you got there is interesting, but why you decided to go into security is always like a really interesting thing. Like how far do you, you know, like did you like as a kid, you were, were you picking things apart, you know? So yeah, those two kind of questions, like how did you get into security and when did you know that you want to do security and why, and were there any like signs that you're going to end up in security? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, career-wise, I started in more of the DevOps world. Uh, not It was before it was really called DevOps. It was writing Perl that runs code on AX servers that makes uh, money and code move around. So it was not DevOps. It was not Terraform and Chef and Puppet and stuff like that. Um, and that was kind of where I got my start spending time on Linux servers. And um, security wasn't a big focus in that organization. It was a government contractor. Surprise, surprise. Um, but yeah. Um, then yeah, I went to living social with, with you worked on AppSec stuff and a whole lot of other stuff. Um, but, know. but between that transition, like, like, why would you, why would you want to work with me? I mean, no, but like, why would you want to kind of go into that, that route? I mean, I always, even before, even before, well, in college, I wanted to study, I studied security. And before that I wanted to go into security. I think it's because, uh, like, accounting there's no adversarial model you know like you just look at some numbers in a spreadsheet um you know same thing with business mbas i mean a little bit with business competition but you know security is one of the few places besides maybe like law enforcement where there's an adversarial model where you're constantly under some kind of attack or some kind of you know negative focus um that's a really interesting concept so you have like the tech side which is tech is always advancing there's always new things happening so you have like the things moving super fast and at the same time you have to take that tech and somehow secure it and you have to you know you're up against a lot of smart people who want to hack you um so i think that's what got me most interested in uh security and i always just liked breaking stuff when i was younger and so kind of fit fit into it um 
I wasn't some like super hacker when I was younger, but definitely used like AOL on the old AOL days. Um, <laughs> you still use AOL. <laughs> I mean, I still use AOL. Yeah. But that was back in the day with the old like hacker tools on AOL, kicking people out of uh, chat rooms and, you know, macro bombs and mail bombs and all that stuff. So it was always fun messing with that. Cause it was a way like you can break the system and, um, you know, do something you're not supposed to do. I used to hate when people do that macro bomb stuff. Like, Oh my, you're talking about when like you'd, uh, you'd end up with like 50,000 over and over again, pop-ups on your, uh, your screen to where like your computer was unusable. Well, that oh, or the macro bombs, which is like the ASCII art getting dumped into uh chat rooms. Oh yeah. yeah. Kind of stuff drove me nuts. Drove me nuts. It was like yeah. somebody would get mad on the internet or just, it would probably, it's probably you. It's probably you that was doing it to me. Even oh, back yeah. then. And now people just DOS each other off the internet or swat each other. So it's it's elevated quite a bit. <laughs> that was an escalation. It was quite yeah. an escalation. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's that's why I wanted to get into security, just because that, that model pretty much only exists in security, um, unless you're like in law enforcement or the military or intelligence or something like that. So that's always what's been interesting, um, is the combination of tech and, and that kind of the issues you deal with in security. Yeah, it's not simple. I mean, we're sitting here talking about XSS still, and it's been like, how long has XSS been a thing? And it's still a thing. Yeah. Now you can solve me. It will continue to be a thing until until Neil is cloned from GitHub and he one exists at every single organization in the world to implement CSP. XSS will be a thing. And even then, like CSP is bypassable. And, you know, it's not it's not. uh, well, according to Manico, right? Aren't we at the, you know, we're almost to that golden like framework standard standard and XSS will disappear, right? Isn't that isn't yeah. that what he said? Well, let me say this. Rails five, I think, or the latest iteration of Rails actually and I know everybody's rolling their eyes. Oh, this guy with his Rails, but people uh, still use that. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> oh, I thought PHP, I thought PHP would replace that. <laughs> That's hurtful. <laughs> That's hurtful. Wait, wait um, you no, say like, people still use it. Yes, GitHub still uses it. That's right. Is that there are at least five of us? <laughs> there are five of us. Come There's join us. Of us. <laughs> yeah. Okay, guys. Well, you know, say what you will. Ha ha ha. At my expense, but uh, they did implement basically that that. So Neil had written secure headers. So they basically put that into the framework so that it, like you can just through the framework do all the uh, you know security headers, including CSP. But, you know, hey, at least Rails has has that going for it. Yeah. Does it have a default policy it comes with, or is it just you just can enable it? Oh, uh, I think it does, and then get a default. I can't remember what it is though. Uh, I'm gonna guess if you look at every at every first few commits of any new Rails project, it's gonna be disabling that. <laughs> <laughs> the first three commits gonna be like, why does my why does my front end not work? Oh, that's why. We spent eight hours on naming this app. Now for the easy stuff, disabling the content security <laughs> policy. Security That's probably yeah. the the top uh, question on Stack Overflow for Rails right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh God, I hope not. Um, traditional CSP approach. I don't know. Like, I don't want to read all this stuff right now. Plus, it's hard with all this, these Christmas decorations. But uh, yes, you're, there's, you're, dis- there's some... you're distracted. Do, do we need to sing Jingle Bells before we move on? That'll that'll be our intro theme song. I'll get us a Christmas theme song. We'll finally okay, have one. 
that mythical only, theme song we've talked about. <laughs> yes, it'll only be appropriate for you know a month and a half, but we'll use it year round. <laughs> At least you're starting early. You still have you still have a good amount of time. You can get out of it. I can do it year round. That's not a problem. Oh, and God. anytime you're on, Mike, and anytime you're on. Yeah, I'm gonna report you to the YouTube police. <laughs> oh God, they would be bored out of their minds trying to watch this. You should do. It would be more hurtful to them than than me. So. <laughs> So yeah, so you you came to Living Social, um, and from there you, I mean, you obviously went to several. You did several other things, and uh, you know, I'm curious what out of like, well, first of all, tell folks what those other things were, and then like, have some some follow on questions regarding you know, what was good, what was bad, lessons learned from some of those some of those positions. Sure, Santa. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so after Living Social, I was there for almost two years, worked with you for a while. Um, I was, that was a good experience, I'll say that. It was an inexperience and good experience. Uh, I think I think everyone should work in a startup at some point in their life, especially if you've only worked in large companies, you should definitely go to a startup for a year or two. Um, after that, I went into consulting. Um, so I was at Dizium for two years, again, worked with you and, and met Seth. Um, and... Yeah, like you said, worked there, helped build out the consulting side of the house. Um, we went from what, like five folks when I joined, five or maybe 10 folks when I joined up to like 25. Um, so that was, again, an interesting experience. And that wasn't purely AppSec uh, experience. That was also just building a building a whole organization and building a company and all the, the fun and bad of uh, doing that. <clears throat> um, and then I switched from more of a management role at Indizium to just being a pure consultant at Stratum, which is another uh, smaller AppSec focused consulting company in Virginia. Um, there, I mostly just did, you know, just pure consulting, AppSec work, source code review, you know, dynamic testing, training, all that kind of stuff. Um, and also worked on building a product that was being built out in-house there. Um, so that was really interesting because that was... Uh, Again, that was kind of like working in a startup because it's limited limited resources trying to build something and they're trying to build a security product. So um, that was really just interesting seeing how to do that the right way. Um, yeah, then after that, I went to Capital One um, and I worked in a unique role there because it, it wasn't a purely technical role. It was more of, they have a concept of the information security office, which they're kind of like mini CISOs for different either business units or even teams within the larger business units. And the idea is they um, they kind of tie the different pieces of the security organization together, and then you're the face of the business. So, you know, if AppSec did a test, we'd be the ones who are kind of on the hook to help enforce getting those findings done. We'd be on the phone explaining to them why white hat sucks um, and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Um, so that was really interesting, just because that was more of um, that was more of uh, like talking to the business about security versus a purely technical role. And anyone who's worked in a bank knows that A, there's a huge amount of work you've done and B, security is usually bad. Not saying that's true about Capital One, but you know, they're just these two competing things. Um, and then after being there for a while, spending a good amount of time uh, doing cloud security and just general security there, decided to start my own thing. Um, which I've been doing for a while now and just focused on cloud security and application security. Um, so far it's been really good. I've been really busy and um, 
it's I've been working with some small clients, which is a lot of fun because working with you know developers who haven't really done anything security related um, and are kind of afraid of what that means. Um, you know, that's it's kind of fun to be the first face of security so that you don't have to. So you're not the one who's like spoiling security for them, you know, because everyone who has worked with an enterprise security company at some point just learns to hate them because they're usually jackasses and, you know, are just yelling at them to fix their app. So it's nice working with kind of greenfield app teams who are open to ideas and, um, you know, try not to be an asshole to them and um, show that security doesn't have to be just horrible and doesn't have to be just insulting their baby. So. But uh, so that's a security motto you're saying is we should just like don't be an asshole. That's that would be good. Yeah. So I tweeted the other day because I, I was at a client and the CTO introduced me to like his developers and he was like, yeah, this is Mike. He's going to be doing a security test for us. And like they all kind of like froze up. They all kind of looked at me like suspicious. And I was like, you know, that's like I mean, I don't blame them. They don't know me, but they just hear security and they're like, yeah, this this guy is going to tell us our app sucks and it's going to create a bunch of work for us. And it's just going to be, you know, this guy is, you know, the embodiment of a headache. And <laughs> just uh, sighed when you walked in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this guy. Oh, and that's, yeah, that, but that's just how things are. You know, that's like, that's based off of their previous work with security and just the fact that we're pains in their asses. Um, so it's not like a surprise that, uh, you know, developers don't generally like when we walk into the room or don't generally like having to jump on a phone and talk about testing their app. Um, well, well I, I, you know, I have a couple of questions. Number one, you know, was it PHP? Because, I, you know, like they kind of get what they deserve, right? Is that? No, it was, it's, uh, it's Rails. So no one, <laughs> ha! no one oh, blame. So, <laughs> so, so it was one of the two other uh, firms that. Yeah, yeah, so. Like you said, Ken, there's dozens, dozens. <laughs> there are dozens of us. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I mean, like, they're a pretty new new product company. They have some, like, savvy developers, but they just, yeah, they already had a bad view of security. So I get to undo that with them and prove that not everyone's an asshole. Um, just Ken. Just me. Well, no, I mean, you're right, though. Like, it's interesting when people, you know, have you've had somebody else in there, and then what they've done is they've thrown, like, a... 700 page report from a scanner or, you know, all the typical bad stuff that you shouldn't, you shouldn't do. Right. As, 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 yeah. as, as somebody, you know, who's done this for a living for a while, you know, there are certain things that you cringe when you hear other people do it. And then, yeah, it's a reality that if you're doing consulting and you're going through, like, there's going to be a percentage of these companies that dealt with the worst versions of us in, um, you know, this community. And, um, you know, sadly, uh, you have to, or you have to work through that and kind of, uh, it's no different than like, you know, when people like uh, are suspicious when uh, like a legitimate mechanic says like, oh, something, yeah, this actually has to be replaced. There's something wrong, you know, here yeah. with your car. You're like, okay, well, you know, I've been lied to in the past and they maybe spend $500 and have to spend or whatever the case is. So it's pretty similar. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think the other big problem, and this is, <clears throat> this was definitely reaffirmed working at a large enterprise recently is, uh, everything is critical and everything needs to get done right now you know like it's basically critical a critical b critical c it's not like you know <laughs> things aren't <laughs> things aren't accurately judged for for risk and so you know some developers aren't aware of like what the actual security impact is of a finding but some of them they're perfectly aware that this is like not exploitable and it's only exploitable under these like certain conditions 
but yet they're being forced to fix it in lieu of like, you know, getting other work they want to get done and done. So, um, so yeah, just, it's frustrating that basically if you're trying to be a good guy in security and trying to be a reasonable person in security, you have to clean up after the previous folks that have worked with them. So. Yeah, that totally, that totally happens. Um, Seth, do you have, cause I have some questions. I don't know if I didn't want to interrupt your set of questions before. Cause I have, I have, I know some of Mike's opinions and I definitely want other people to hear them. Cause I think they're, he's got some good insights, but I don't know if you had anything before I moved on. Yeah. We, I, I just wondered, you know, what, what pair of jeggings he was wearing today. Cause that seems to be <laughs> the skackies. I will, I will not the be skacky. standing up. Thank you. <laughs> that That's okay. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Stay sitting. Uh, we I think we would prefer that. Yeah, Mike no likes it's cold Mike likes here, really, so. yeah, Mike likes really tight jeans and craft beer, <laughs> and <clears throat> being ironic, and, and moonlight like moonlight walks on the beach. So <laughs> he's a hipster, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, the guy that works at GitHub uh, calls me a hipster. <laughs> Who yeah. wears V-necks? Yeah, that's true. I didn't actually know so- people wore those as actual shirts until I met you. <laughs> What do you think they wear the mask? Like undershirts or something, or just in catalogs. No one actually bought them. Well, well, I'm I'm pretty sure, you know, he's probably wearing a tank top underneath his hoodie. So just just back off a little bit. He's got to regulate the body heat, you know? That's that's legitimately a tank top underneath. (laughs) Told you. I told you. Oh my God. He called it. I am the embodiment of a professional, <laughs> sir. <laughs> oh, man. oh man, this is going off the rails quickly. <laughs> yeah, my, Mike, I was gonna, I was gonna ask. Okay, so you've been inside, uh, you've been outside organizations. We've worked as consultants together. You know, me and Mike do work pretty closely. You know, both of us are independent right now, so we kind of kick stuff back and forth. Um, what is your like? I mean, what, what's your ideal scenario? What is it that you like most, I, I guess, currently, as far as, you know, helping clients? It sounds like the small company is something that you're, you're, you're high on right now, but anything else? Um, I don't know. I've been doing AppSec for a while. I mean, I've reviewed more Java code than, you know, than I should. I think, I don't know what's more traumatizing, that doll on Ken's tree or reading the amount of java that i've read oh don't be sad it's it's Java's 50, not that bad i'm not i'm not sure which one yet uh <laughs> so i've done a lot of a lot of appsec and that's still kind of the bread and butter like doing appsec tests and stuff like that but um i think the more interesting thing stuff these days and that's it's probably because i come from more of like an operations background is cloud security mm-hmm. um so infrastructure automation all that kind of stuff so I've been doing more of that for for folks recently. Um, security assessments, you know, working with them to figure out how to you know improve how they do things in the cloud. Um, I think most people, especially smaller companies, who are greenfielding things, just kind of slap stuff together and they don't really think about the security side of it. Um, or if they do, they just don't. Having someone from the outside come and say like, "This is what you should do," and here are your gaps. I think helps people to kind of kind of firms up the idea that this is something they need to address. Um, yeah. And so that's really, I think that's more interesting. I mean, cloud security is just like, it's a code issue. It's a, you know, operating system level issue. It's a network level issue. It's encryption, everything, key management. So there's so many different pieces to it. And then there's all the, you know, custom AWS or GCP 
kind of tools, Lambda, and then, you know, containers. There's so many different pieces to it. <clears throat> and everyone's kind of set up a little bit differently. Um, so it's been more interesting working in that side of side of things, getting back to kind of an operations viewpoint on stuff. Okay. So yeah. what, what are your recommendations there, right? Like, where do you start with a company when it comes to that kind of stuff? I mean, obviously, you go to some of those bigger companies like you've worked with in the past, and I'm sure they've got a team that's come up with, you know, their cloud security standard. You know, this is, this is typically what I run into. But if you go to somebody small, what is the first thing that you do? What tools are you pulling out to actually help them? Yeah, I mean, it's there's no one thing, you know. I guess like with apps, like you could say validate your inputs, and that would kill a bunch of different bugs, you know, or... Um, or patch your software and that would kill a bunch of different bugs. With cloud, since there's so many different facets to it, there's no one recommendation that I think I can really make. Um, so it's just so many different pieces to it. I mean, it all depends on what people are using. Um, you know, working with like clients who are using ECS for containers um, or people are just using Lambda for everything. Everyone has just a different kind of challenge. So um, I always just kind of dig into things, understand how it's all set up and then write up specific recommendations for different issues. I mean, it seems to be kind of network infrastructure is always an issue. People just want to get EC2s going. They put them in a public subnet. They don't put good firewall or security group security groups in place. Um, but this you know, is the thing, right? Like I just to real quickly add to that, like there was a process previously in data centers to get like networking done and to have the ops, you know, people actually set things up for you properly. And then like devs were just throwing code on top of the machines running in da the data center, but all that networking, and all that, there were like tiers of getting that set up and DevOps like tore that down. But then yeah. like, and you'd mentioned this, but now you've got developers writing that infrastructure as code. And then like, I don't know, like, do they have a great background in not saying they don't like, but you know, that's the question is, or is it the same yeah. level of networking knowledge and system and OS level knowledge as like and firewall knowledge as a, you know, somebody that's all they do. That's yeah, an no. interesting take. I, Cause I think about the organizations that I started with like iOmega right back in the day. And that was such a defined process rolling out new systems to support like the applications and the developers had no, I, like almost no say into you know how those how those systems were hardened, you know what was running on it. The you know at the very at the at most they would have hey this is the version of you know Tomcat that we we've developed in right and that was it, but everything else was done by a dedicated team that yeah. knew the security. But I, I and and I think about it now and we haven't done the same thing with cloud security by any stretch. Right. Some of the bigger orgs have, but the smaller ones, they don't hire a cloud security person or a cloud administrator. They just let the developers go off and go to town, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of funny because a developer used to just need to be an expert in like, say, the language that they use, the framework, you know, maybe database, how to optimize those kind of things, make sure their queries aren't, you know, killing the database and all that kind of stuff. So now developers have to be an expert in all of that. They have to know Terraform or cloud formation. They have to know... Um, you know, network level infrastructure, they have to know how to do key management in the cloud. And so they, they went from needing to be an expert in like a few different areas to now needing to be an expert in like a huge amount of other domains. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I think like DevOps is a good thing and infrastructure has 
as uh, code is like a great thing because there's so much you can automate, but you're now asking your developers to be experts in all these different areas. And you're also asking them to have so much more responsibility to do all of this the right way. So it's, it's, I feel like kind of a recipe to be both really taxing on developers because they're already, I don't know any developer who's like just putting out 10 lines of code a week and um, that's all they do. Usually they're pretty taxed with what their normal job is. And now they have to do all the coding and also the, all of the infrastructure and then debug that and then figure out what the security team is requiring them to do with their you know, Terraform scripts and figure out how to do key management and um, you know all these different things. So it's, uh, I think it's an opportunity to do things the right way and it's an opportunity opportunity to make things more secure, but it's kind of, I think it's a little bit of a pipe dream to think like you implement cloud and DevOps and hand more responsibility over to developers and like things are just gonna work out magically. Wait, they're not gonna work out magically. Hmm. No. Don't believe you. Yeah, no, I mean, you're yeah. right though. Cause there's, there's everything being sort of like, so everything from the database to um, whatever, like in memory databases to however many like clusters of, things that they have to run like there's a ton of different services that i mean it could be like using the notification services email services um queuing services whatever right and like there's a lot that can go wrong um and be exploited if uh they get it wrong so yeah i mean how many cloud security people do you know like pure cloud security people that are qualified to talk about cloud security we've had uh just a few on you yourself included uh scott piper um uh last week we had travis um but yeah there's not there's not like it's kind of a in fact even if i'm you wouldn't know actually i think scott might have spoken this spoken to this too but i think even the aws security cert just came out like yeah uh, yeah not recently yeah um, yeah i think yeah. it was last year that you could actually start certifying for it and yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned like Travis too, and Travis is more like he's creating tooling, but I don't know if he's got, I, I, well, yeah. And I don't know what sort of like level of expertise he has, like Scott Piper does, right? I, there's, you're right. There's a, there's a dearth of people that are out there. Yeah. And I mean, like, just like, just like frameworks and languages change all the time. Like we'll see what reinvent brings us. Cause you know, it's pretty much something new every single year and, new stuff comes out even outside of reInvent. So it's like, I don't know, it's it's a little uh, crazy to think that developers are now responsible for infrastructure on top of, um, on top of, you know, app security. And, you know, we weren't doing that well, just purely on AppSec. So now they have more responsibility. Um, and clearly, you know, you build guidelines, you build tools, you build frameworks, how do people do this stuff, but uh, not to be a dork like Ken and, um, quote Peter Parker, but with great power comes great responsibility and uh, they don't get any more time to do this stuff. So it's just like, yeah, seems like a little bit of a cluster. It's like, it's a very promising thing and clearly some places are doing it really well, but um, it's just not a surprise that it's a really, if you're in the middle where you don't have a huge team to help you build this stuff and you don't have the knowledge in-house um, and you need to get it done then uh i think that's where kind of the biggest pain point will be if you're not if you're not really big and don't have dedicated resources for this type of security um i think it's got to be a lot of pain for uh for companies and seth i think you've had some experience in this area too where yeah. you know it's just it 
people build standards, people build rules, they put it up in a wiki, and then somehow you have to figure out how to build against that, even if it's not very uh, well defined. So, yeah, I mean, even the big companies are struggling with it, right? Um, on hey, what should be in that standard? What shouldn't be? Um, and there's how many new cloud security tools that'll go in and tell you that you're doing everything wrong, or you know X, Y, and Z, or you know misconfigured, and you know what what's the real risk associated with that? So it's a you know it's a huge problem for large companies as well. But I do see. I mean, we had somebody. I don't know if it was in our Slack channel or another one that we're all in that was talking about, hey, who's actually been punished for having cloud security problems, right? For exposing like S3 buckets. Um, and I think we've got that one example of the, the the company that they logged in and actually like encrypted everything or dropped everything and they went out of business. But other than that, has anybody really suffered because of it, right? Yeah, there was some company that I read in the news that as part of their third party audits, they talk about cloud security. And I think they're very specific about like S3 access and encryption. Um, and they basically, there was some headline like touting this company because they pulled out of a deal with some third party because they didn't have the right um, like level of control over their S3 buckets. So it's kind of like touting the fact that this company takes their vendor very uh, seriously. But um, I mean, I know working where I used to work, um, like auditors are just now catching up to uh, to kind of the cloud. Like, you know, auditors are going through the, the associate programs to get their certs and then they're asking questions um, about this stuff. So you're gonna see, I think more of it over time, they're gonna get smarter just like they do about everything else, but it's still gonna be a little while before you have like good regulations around this stuff um, that yeah. make sense and actually make things more secure. Yeah, and there's another factor, right? Like, surprise, surprise, kids, like only a small percentage of what actually happens gets reported, right? So like, basically, how many hours have companies spent on their cert teams and their legal teams and, you know, various parts of their company working on, you know, some simple misconfiguration, something kind of silly, stupid, whatever, and like, um, that they've spent a lot of money internally on resources working within the company to deal with whatever and figure out how, you know, the extent of the, uh, the issue and report it to various people that need to be reported to. And she's only going to get worse with GDPR. And so like, right. Like <laughs> that's, that costs money. That's time not spent doing other things that are equally as important internally. Um, so. Yeah. Uh, there's an interesting comment that just came in uh, Toaster32, I guess is his name, right? Uh, I mean, he called out that there's less than three and a half hours of content on Amazon's site for the security specialty. Um, I mean, that doesn't sound uh, like anywhere near where where it should be, right? I mean, if that's, you know, that's true, I'll try to get some links from him. Um, but three and a half hours to learn how to secure Amazon AWS is... Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, it, it takes three and a half hours just to figure out like what an IAM rule is, right? And how to, how to <laughs> implement that. Like, I'm going to be honest, it does, yeah. right? No, IAM is crazy, yeah. Yeah, I um, I talked to someone at Cap1 who passed the dude, I think he was the first guy at Cap1 to, to go through that cert. And he said it was like heavy on IAM and KMS. So that's, that's cool. Those are both super powerful and useful services. But like, that's, it's just going to scratch the surface of, of what's uh, what you need to know to really secure cloud. So, and I mean, no cert's going to be perfect, but 
you know, no. it's, it's, but yeah, I mean, it, I mean, if it's heavy on IAM and KMS, right. You're, you're leaving out VPCs, you're leaving out, I, you know, security groups and like kind of the networking aspects. And maybe they're thinking that, Hey, you've got to have the networking specialty to actually get into the security specialist. I don't know. Right. Like I haven't done that much yeah. research into it. Um, yeah, yeah plus monitoring and auditing and all that other stuff that like they have services to, you know built to help you out with and you could totally use them and then like yeah if it's mostly about iam and kms like not yeah. super helpful no. yeah i think it used to be that you had to have another cert before you could do it but i think that recently changed so now you can just jump in there you can even take the uh i think it's like the network specialty so you can just be completely destroyed and pay however much it costs to take that cert but that's like one of their hardest certs to get it's the network specialty i believe so it used to be you had to have an associate or something like that and then you could take it now you can just jump in so if you want to waste a hundred something dollars go for it uh so toaster and ken toller both made a comment that yeah like most of that um sort of general network security stuff appears to be in their uh associate level certs uh <clears throat> certs and training so yeah and also he asked are you going to be an, are either of you guys going to be a reinvent only virtually. I, I, it's still on the up in, up in the air for me. I mean, Vegas is pretty close to where I'm at, so I'm, I, yeah. But I've got a ton of work that's on in my pipeline, so I don't think I'm going to make it. But maybe we'll see. If somebody's out there and wants to meet up, have you know, hit me up on Twitter. Maybe we can make something happen. I'm not going because I don't have a reason to. But uh, and also, it's super pricey. If it wasn't. Yeah. If like, I had a reason to go or, you know what I mean? Like if that was part of my day to day, I'd totally do it, but it's not anymore. So. Well, well I hear Lambda is going to be based on rails now that make it. Ha 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 ha. You know what? I do think they support. Big Ruby. News. They do. <laughs> they do support Ruby. Yeah. I'm just. Yeah. <laughs> so, so mean. Is everyone actually uses it? By the way, if you haven't read that, uh, that blog post from Cloudflare about their worker stuff, it's pretty interesting. Um, speaking of Lambda, it's definitely worth a read because what they're doing with workers is pretty interesting. Like basically getting rid of the whole OS layer to run your code and getting rid of the cold boot problem and everything. So if anyone wants an interesting read for the week, definitely check that out. Um, Evan, find no, that, was, that was huh? interesting. I mean, I'm not sure what technology that they're, I, I mean. It's it, running V8. It's running V8 at the. Yeah, so it's V8 at the is, bottom. So it's basically, yeah. Is it real URLs for AMP cached content using Cloudflare, Flow, blah, 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 Cloudflare <laughs> workers? No, I'll send you the link. But it's okay. about it's about like sort of a comparison between workers and Lambda, um, and just talks about how like it can it can do a huge amount more, um, run a huge amount more code with less resources because it's not doing the full virtualization like like Lambda is. The only thing is like your isolation is out at the V8 level versus um, you know having an isolated isolated Docker container or OS things like that. So I'm not an expert in this in this area, but it was pretty interesting to see because. Um, well, that's yeah. yeah that's it was powerful. pretty interesting to read. Like I came up against a. I was doing a test on a system recently that used like some. Um, there's like webtask.io containers, right? 
Um, and that, but that's all, and it's all depending on that virtualization for the security of, you know, the content that they're pushing into it. It seems to work pretty well, but it, like, I'm, I'm extremely suspicious of anything that's like that, that'll still run you, let you run custom code within a, you know, within a controlled environment, just because we know that it goes wrong. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, um, Tavis from Google this weekend was tweeting about it. So I'm sure he and his mad workshop is coming up with some like V8, you know, uh, breakout to read other people's memory or something like that. So like, I'm sure stuff like that will pop up, but mm -hmm. I mean, we still use virtual machines. There've been breakouts of virtual machines too. So it's not like it's gonna completely destroy the model, but yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, it's not my field of expertise, but like, the whole world of virtualization and, and putting code lower and lower to the operating system just to keep the resources and overhead lower. It's definitely, definitely interesting as it's pros and it's cons. So. Yeah, we'll, we'll pull that link and then we'll post it for everybody. So, cause it yeah. was an interesting, it was an interesting article when I read through it. Yeah. Ken Toller did mention uh, a cloud guru, which this is like this, at least the third time that a cloud guru has been brought up for uh and this is specifically because they have labs that are great for kms <clears throat> and iam bucket policies is what he says yeah yeah they have, they have a lot of good stuff they have actually azure and gcp stuff too if that's your uh if that's your you know area of wanting to learn um the funny thing about azure is Despite what some people think, A, I was completely surprised this week to learn that their revenue actually has beat AWS at certain quarters, which I'm curious to know how much of that is, like what the margin is on that compared to AWS. Like, are they just throwing money to get more money? Um, they're just giving free stuff away to get more people on the platform and that's not gonna work out long-term. But um, it is interesting hearing from more clients that use Azure. I'm working with one that's like a .NET shop um, and they're just all Azure, never use AWS. So there's more and more folks kind of popping up, trying to figure out how you do Azure security. And while AWS, I wouldn't say is like mature in terms of security, in terms of the number of people who know how to do it, there's even less people when it comes to Azure. So that's going to be um, an interesting area of expertise to, to see grow. Um, there's a really good talk. No, they by were the offering like 50. Oh, sorry. No, there's a really good talk by the Microsoft Red Team about pen testing um, Azure that I'll share with you. Um, but it's it's kind of a different world than AWS just because it's more that Microsoft world. I you are right. They were handing out heavy upgrade or heavy discounts to folks for uh, moving from AWS to Azure. Yeah, but I don't know if that like gonna last. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. So, um, but so you're saying like if you're in the cloud security space and you want to be the expert, you should probably invest some time in learning Azure. I mean, yeah, I think people are going to more and more people are going to start start using it and some people are doing the whole multi-cloud thing of not wanting to be tied into one vendor um which, you know, I feel like that's like hey, we built our app on Rails. Let's now go build it on Node and also Django because we don't want to be locked into one framework. We haven't figured out how to do it well on one. Let's go do it on three. Uh, but some people are just doing that because they don't want to be locked into AWS and you know get screwed over if the pricing becomes ridiculous or don't want to be tied to their you know availability or something like that. Um, so I know people are kind of doing both. 
I don't know many people using GCP, but they make a billion dollars a year or so. Some people are using it. Somebody's yeah. using it. Yeah, I mean, you still run into people that are, you know, any of those, uh, you know, so. I, yeah, I, and like I almost think there's there's space like you're talking about for somebody to sit in there and actually, hey, this is how you deploy in AWS versus GCP versus Azure or, you know, from a security perspective. They all seem like all the tools seem to support each of the three or at least at some level they do, right? Um, if you look at any of the cloud security vendors, but yeah. you really wonder on how deep they go on the Azure and GCP side, just because you know they don't have the same scrutiny or the same tooling as AWS. So, yeah, I mean, call me a cynic, but like, I don't feel like the tooling for AWS is very good. And um, yeah, well, so. I mean, if it was good, Netflix wouldn't have to go build it all, right? Yeah, they wouldn't have an entire security open source you know, part of GitHub. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I wanted to shift the conversation, if you guys don't mind, to, to Christmas. Uh, to Christmas. To Christmas. To Christmas. The holiday, the holiday spirit that you all should have. Uh, I'm alone here on an island, guys. <laughs> so, anyways. Anyways, so uh, one thing I definitely did want to ask about, because we've talked about this before, you and I in private conversations, where we're like, the good and the basically the good and the bad, and you've seen some quite a bit of bad, and you've seen good too, like in terms of uh, like hiring people for AppSec, um, you know, being able to recruit, but also like inter interview process specifically. Um, so I was wondering if you wouldn't like if you wouldn't mind sharing, you know, the good and the bad. Like what what are the bad things you've seen as part of the interview process? What are the good things? What are the things that people should be doing if they're trying to like hire on AppSec people? Yeah, I mean, it's like I think it's the hardest problem security. Um, you know, we tackle a lot of issues in security, a lot of hard technical problems, but hiring I think has to be like one of the hardest things in our industry to do right, just because there's not enough people. Um, I mean, I think. I always like looking for folks that might not have the experience that you that they need out of the box. Um, and this is especially hard in consulting where basically you need someone to like start day one and start billing because otherwise they're just costing you money. Um, but I mean, we had good luck hiring folks that were very technical. They came from a different background than necessarily security. So um, someone who came from like a networking background or um, or, you know, a lot of developers make good security folks, I think, because they you don't have to teach them the whole domain of, of, you know, application development and deployment and things like that. Um, so I think that that's a big help, but um, the big problem now I think is everyone knows that security is a place you can make a lot of money. So you have all these people flooding into it and getting their, you know, getting their CEH or CISSP and things like that and filling their, uh, filling their resumes with all these different certs and, saying they know for some reason people like to say they know Linux and like WP scan on their resume. Like that's going to be a selling point that you know how to like use Linux and can run a command line tool. Um, but that was like, that was really frustrating when I was doing hiring of just the millions of crappy resumes that came in of people who, um, who just can fill the resume full of, of keywords, but not know anything. And it's just going to be more and more of that is, we need more security people and there's way too many job openings and not enough good people and there's good salaries in it. Um, we'll see more of that, but 
it's really, I feel like you have to find the diamond in the rough when it comes to hiring for security because you need someone who's technical and passionate and will take the time to learn and then continuously learn too. It's not like you learn how to do something once and then you're never improving after that. So if you're, I mean, if you're, so if you're reading a resume, what point, what kind of like gets you in the, you know, in the, at least this is interesting resume and not in the like move on pile to you? Like what, what sticks out to you usually as something that, you know, like this is what would make me want to hire someone or, or at least, you know, not Im- immediately dismiss the resume. Yeah. Uh, not being five pages long. Um, cause no one has that much experience. <laughs> um, no, I think it's usually, um, it's like, what have you done outside of work? What have you done at work to learn more? And then what have you done outside of work to improve your skills? Because I think like anything in life, if you want to be good at it, if you want to do it, you have to put a lot of effort into it. You know, no one's going to hire you to just sit there and learn something else. It's not your job. Like you have to do, you have to do your day, day's worth of work. And then maybe you'll get some time to learn security. But for most people who aren't in it, they have to teach themselves. And so that means doing things like CTFs or doing development or, you know, going to trainings and paying, paying for yourself or just going to local conferences or even speaking at conferences. Um, so I think it's all those kind of extracurriculars that that I think look pretty good on resumes. Um, it just shows like a passion and an interest in the field. Um, but I don't think it really matters what your background necessarily is. Like, I mean, you and me have worked with people who don't come from a purely technical background. We worked with someone who is a fireworks technician who, you know, ended up being a pretty good, <laughs> a pretty good uh, security guy. I believe he owns a nightclub in Miami now, but um, <laughs> <laughs> he's doing some runs between Columbia and wherever he's at yeah dc so yeah but i mean he didn't come from a purely technical background but he learned appsec and he brought the experience from different areas to to appsec so i don't think like i think some people might think like if you don't have a security degree or you don't have a cs degree you can't do appsec or security in general but i don't know i've I've worked with plenty of people who don't have that they just have a, a want to get better and a want to like learn more um and that's that's been better than anyone who's formally trained. I've also worked with people who have PhDs in security, and I don't think they know the difference between like you know symmetric and asymmetric encryption. Um, couldn't tell you the difference between like reflected and stored XSS, but they have a formal degree in it. So, um, so yeah, right. I which know. I mean brings up the question of okay, you've got these people in the room, so now it's time to to try within that limited window that you have <clears throat> to uh, you know suss out if they. If they truly, you know, know kind of what, what you're looking for. Um, you know, we, we've talked about it before, like the, uh, <clears throat> write a TLS stack by hand in C++, you yeah. know, type trickery and those types of questions that are just <clears throat> bananas. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, you know, what are the, uh, what are the ones that, um, uh, what are the kinds of things that you, that you ask people and, and, you know, what are you, what are you really looking for there? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's, I think if you pose an open-ended question, like how would you build this? You know, how would you build like a simple API to call, uh, to like to send some data somewhere, you know, that someone could call? How would you do authentication? Um, how would you protect against this on that API? Like, I think asking open-ended questions that you're not looking for a certain right answer. Like you don't want to ask gotcha questions, just asking an open-ended question and then just like listening, just like shutting up and listening to the person and making them feel comfortable enough to, you know, ramble on. And no one's going to have a, perfect 10 word answer right out of the gate. They're going to have to think about it, just giving people space to think and then trying to understand how they think and, 
you know, what threat model they come up with for what they're building, what <clears throat> issues they think of and how they get, how they solve for those issues. Um, you know, I think it's someone who can sit there and can think through a problem is, uh, is definitely a big part of it. Um, and I feel like if you do enough interviews with people, you can tell when someone's just BSing, like if you don't have the experience in the field, but you want to learn and you're going for, you know, a more junior position, like there's nothing wrong with not knowing something. If you're going for a senior position where you need to be relied on to do like really quality work out of the gate, but you're lying about your, you know, credentials or your experience, like people can usually pick up on that pretty quick. You ask a few basic questions and people know the stock answers, you know, how do you, how do you uh, address cross-site scripting? Well, like output encoding. But then if you poke a little deeper, you know, you'll know, you'll know that they don't really know what they're talking about. So, um, so I don't know, like be, be honest, be honest with what you don't know, be honest with what you do know, and just, you know, give people the, the space to talk through things. Um, I think it's important. So I think interviews that are like competitions and like gotchas and like trying to just rule people out are just kind of a terrible way to go about it. Interviews are, nerve-wracking enough as they are without being without someone being like a dickhead and trying to prove that you don't know something no one's like hey tell me how to fix this xss issue or a bomb will go off in 20 seconds there's no like <laughs> mcgruber situations where you gotta you know, yeah. like do it under appsec under pressure so it's a i mean i, I agree it's seems it always feels like a complete waste of time to be like oh how well do you respond under like some stress you know like i don't know it's, yeah. it's like you said stressful enough but I love you know, the. I mean, uh, are you, oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I love the story of the guy who wrote Homebrew for OSX. Like he interviewed at Google and didn't get the job. Yet he's built one of the like most successful, most used open source projects that's probably used all across Google. So it's kind of funny where like if your interview process is knocking out quality people, like you got to change your interview process. Yeah, I mean, uh, are you a fan of rubrics? Or <clears throat> wow, rubrics. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean? Uh, well, like, you know, a standardized uh, sort of set of questions where, I mean, you could always dig in deeper, uh, you know, based off the um, the responses to those um, set of questions that are standardized. But um, some people live and die by them. Some people like to make the questions more custom based off the person interviewing, um, less standardized. What You know, do you have any thoughts there? I have like my stock set of questions I have up on GitHub that I ask people, <clears throat> but um, you know, it's something like to, I know like Google for instance has like their crazy, you know, data mine set of questions. Like we ask these 10 questions for this position and a completely different set of questions for a different position. Like, uh, I mean, I never worked in a place that's that well refined, um, but I have my set of like AppSec specific questions, but they're only to start kind of a conversation to go from there, you know, like, I want to know if someone's passionate. I want to know if they've done interesting things. And I want to know if they can solve, you know, the problem, not so much if they've done this specific thing or that specific thing. So, um, yeah, I'm, I wouldn't call myself very formal. I think the problem is like so much of it comes down to a gut instinct, which can be bad because you can have your own biases for and against things. But I don't know. I haven't seen like a system that works perfectly to hire or fire people. I mean, I've been... I've been ranked poorly on job interviews that I know that I did well at the job. So it's like, I've seen it go well and I've seen it go bad. And I've hired people based on gut instincts that didn't work out. So there's no like perfect solution to it. It's just, um, I don't know. I think the more time you spend communicating with someone, the better idea you'll have of 
if they're a good fit or not. Awesome. Good to know. Yeah. I was kind of, I ask that because we do, we do uh, have folks that are both hiring as well as trying to get hired that watch the show as well as my mom who, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Your mom doesn't watch this. Come on. She's the only person that watches this show. Let's be honest. No, she but has like uh, five different handles asking questions. <laughs> exactly. I set her up with five different accounts. <laughs> so, uh, no, but you know, there's people that on both sides that are trying to, trying to, you know, both find candidates get into the industry. And so I wanted to make sure that we represent, you know, have some questions, especially coming from you who, you know, like, I guess one thing that's interesting is you've dealt with the perils of going from a, you know, even managing five people at a, a you know, a consulting company is a challenge, but when you get up to like 25 people, there's a whole new set of concerns. So you've seen like sort of like the biggest challenges and experienced them and, uh, you know, I mean, you can speak to those things. Like, I am curious in your in your opinion, like, what are some of the biggest, uh, you know, challenges that you face when you're, is it scheduling? Is it like, you know, uh, just that people aspect or, you know, what, what's, what, what did you walk away with? The biggest challenge in terms of managing, like consulting and that kind of stuff or? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> uh, clients. Yep. Everything was great except for the clients. Um, could be difficult. Yeah. No, I mean, consulting, it's, it's true and not just security consulting, but there's always the mismatch between the amount of folks you have on and the amount of work that's coming in. It's either too many people and not enough work or too much work and not enough people. Um, and that's especially hard when, you know, the, the field of people you can hire in security and AppSec specifically is not super deep. So, um, it's tough to, tough to keep that pipeline of good folks out there and like ready to jump on if you need more people as you're growing. Um, but that's like, that's hugely important is to have a good feel for who's out there in the industry, develop relationships for, you know, when it comes time to hire more people. Um, and I think having a good brand for your company is really important too. And showing that, you know, what you're talking about and um, just going out and meeting people is definitely important. I mean, I think it's some of the things we did well in our previous roles and, um, it's definitely a hard, hard thing to do. Uh, it has to happen like very organically. Like you can't hire headhunters to go out there and get your pipeline full of good security people ready to go. You know, like I've never worked with a, a recruiter who's worth the money for security at least. So, yeah, yeah. I think in my, I, I think in my career, right, like hiring people and interviewing people, like I think we've had one successful candidate come through a, a headhunter, right. And that was years and years ago. And even then we almost didn't hire him and we hired somebody else alongside him that came through a kind of a normal process. And the one that came through the hand tender was more junior, but his mindset was better and he turned out to be the better employee, right? Like, it's just like this crapshoot that you, that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. My favorite part was when headhunters would would unsolicited send emails with resumes. And the only thing redacted was like, the personal contact details, but like everything else is there. And I would, and Mike, I remember us specifically, we'd go like, you go Google and, like, and Seth, even like we, we'd go Google and be like, Oh yeah, this is so-and-so our friend who like works down the way yeah, at the other place. Yeah. 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 They're yeah. Recruiters are a whole thing. I mean, I don't want to insult every one of them because there's plenty of good ones, but yeah, that's a frustrating area to deal with because it's just never been that fruitful to use recruiters for security positions. So. You know what, if there's one thing I think we could leave people about consulting as customers and clients, don't schedule in Q4. Stop doing that. Like, don't wait till the end of the year. 
You people are nuts. Yeah, you want you want celebrating celebrating Christmas now, so you can get out of the way. So in Q4, you know, you can be busy. That's a good idea. You know, very forward thinking. Very forward thinking. If you want to use your budget, but like you want to use your budget intelligently, you can always get discounts in like Q1 and Q2 because that's when all the work dries up because everybody is like spend all their money in Q4. So legitimately, like if you have an AppSec program, spend your money during the first six months and make sure you, or even, I guess, what, what would you guys say? Maybe it was more of like, because that stuff bleeds into Q1. So I almost say like Q2. Q2. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 Mar- March to June is your best time to actually find AppSec consultants that are, you know, top notch that we've been super busy the rest of the year. And that's when it all dries up. So, yeah. And, and I would say across the security industry as a whole, sorry, Mike, go ahead. Yeah. Otherwise you're getting consultants who are double billed and traveling across the country and yeah, half asleep when they're doing assessments for you. That's how it is. At least the, you guys know it. the big places. Um, yeah. That's a dirty little, linker. yeah, yeah, it's a dirty little secret. You can get a discount. And you can really drive the price down and you get better, more focused consultants, but you just can't get that in Q4 ever. Yeah. Yeah. No, I it can't, is- I, I, I can't tell you the number of like on a daily basis right now that I, you know, of people that are reaching out asking for availability. And I'm like, look, I told you six weeks ago that Q4 was going to be bad, um, you know, two months ago and you're still reaching out right now. It's just not going to be, it's not going to happen, right? Unless you're willing to pay some insane rate, which no one wants to do. They still want to pay like the, the discounted price when yeah. availability is, is not there. So. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like everyone is waiting to the end of the year because they don't feel like getting the bad news until the last minute. And that's what we bring. <laughs> it's always about money. Uh, you know, it's always, uh, we got some money left over and it's, yeah. It's just we have to use it or lose it. And it's just like plan better and you can get better uses of your money and you can, you can stretch that budget farther, you know? So, yeah. But yeah, I mean, um, so client schedule, I assume scheduling was all, I know scheduling was always an issue for you. Um, you know, not for you personally, but you know, it's an issue that, that comes up um, quite a bit just for any manager. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think, was there anything else that, any uh, any lessons learned that you want to share with anyone? Uh, mm. You're good. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> no, I mean, consulting, I, I think like with anything, you got to know what you're going to get out of it. If you're going to consulting, you're not going to always get to tinker with the coolest stuff if you're in consulting. Like you're, you're sometimes you're just digging trenches and those trenches are reading a million lines of Java, you know? And at first that's yeah. cool and that's a great learning experience, but know when you go into consulting, it's like, it's work all the time and it becomes pretty formulaic and you can get really good at doing something, doing consulting, but you know, your, your horizon is only going to be as wide as what your clients are doing. So, um, just know that going into it. Um, it's, it can be a really good place to learn, especially starting out, but, um, it's good to know when to get out of that area too and go internal consultants are the worst people who've only done consulting or red teaming or pen testing are probably the worst security people in the industry because they don't have any idea how hard it is just to patch an operating system or deploy deploy a new you know line of code out to production and they think that if the dumb developer just did this or just did that everything would be so much easier so do consulting for a while shift internal do internal for a while shift back consulting i think that's the way to go both have their pluses and minuses but 
neither one gives you the full picture of what you know the world actually looks like yeah when someone's done development done development like been a developer and then they've done the consulting side or vice for you know internal and and also have the consulting so the consulting the internal and the developer standpoint like that's a pretty well-rounded uh, individual. Somebody who's going to bring some some value and depth to your program. So shifting onto that topic of AppSec programs, like you know, can you give? Because you've built, you, you've done this. Is you know, can you give like a 30, 60, 90 day plan on? You know, you're brand new and you got to get off the ground and you got to build an AppSec program. Like, what do you do in that 30, 60, 90 day period? What are the things you focus on? What are sort of your your tips for that? Uh, I mean, I think for the first 30 days, you don't do anything. As in, you don't like walk in and start saying, here's how we're going to do this. Here's how we're going to do that. Like, if you're working in a big org, the first 30 days, you should be just meeting with people and getting people to know your face and the faces of the people on your team especially if you're going into a place that didn't have a security team before, or they don't have a very well, you know, uh, not a very mature company or security team. A lot of places just purely use consultants. They do app tests once a year and that's like their security. Um, so I think the first 30 days, you just meet with people, you learn the business, you learn how things operate, what the tech is, how, you know, code gets deployed, how big the team is, who's responsible for what. Um, because if you do that stuff, posts you know you start doing source code analysis you start doing test of apps like you're just going to have all these findings sitting out there you don't know who to go to you're going to have an incident you're not going to know who's the person who owns that app you're not going to know how to figure out you know not going to know who you have to talk to to get new code deployed so i think the big thing is just like going into it and just listening and to um warning the organization like never security people shouldn't try to shape the organization around them. They shouldn't be like, okay, here's how you guys are going to do this from here on out. It should be always the opposite, like listening and warning how things are done and you can make improvements to it, but you got to start with like at least understanding how stuff is done and why it's done that way. Um, 60 days. I think then you figure out, you know, you know what the org looks like, you know, who everyone is, you know, how they do things. Then you figure out how you feel like you could best fit into, um, the program like is that just pen testing and handing off results is that implementing static analysis into people's pipelines is that training you know figuring out what your plan is and that's going to be different at different places like something's going to be more effective than others um if you're using all cops products you can't really do static analysis because you don't have the you don't have the code you have outsourced developers you can't do training you know so you got to figure out what works best and then socializing that and getting buy-in because again like you can have the best best ideas best plans best security technology but if you don't have the you don't know who to talk to and you don't know you don't get the buy-in for doing those things it doesn't really matter it goes like nowhere and you're just you know uh swimming upstream the entire time and then i think the last 90 days is when you really like start doing the work um and you start you know implementing what you want to implement um trying to get stuff integrated i mean i think that's like a high level that doesn't even like really answer your question but i think it's because the question isn't like how you like do you use static analysis in the pipeline or do you do just pure pen testing or you just do training like i don't think that's really that's not the answer that's not like the question that's you know it's more of a organizational one more than it is more of a people and organizational one than um than a like tech question in my view no i think i actually think that answers it perfectly you know, uh, and we've mentioned this before, but it's it's funny how 
most of the time when someone's never built a, or from what I've witnessed and my anecdotal evidence of this, people that have not built an AppSec program before focus primarily on like bugs, bugs and bugs and like maybe some threat modeling, but that's also focused on like threat modeling towards like bugs, but it's not, it, you know, that's what they think makes up an AppSec program. And the reality is that it isn't, I mean, that's small, that's a small part of it. It's yeah. odd, but it is a small part of it because there's so much else to do. And you're, I think that's a great, uh, for what it's worth, I think that's a great approach to, uh, well, to thanks, get to know Ken. who the, yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm just sharing a little holiday spirit there with you, Mike. You're so jolly. So jolly. So, so jolly. I mean, you can't match my level of jolly and professionalism. Yeah. So, <clears throat> but no, yeah, I think getting to know the key stakeholders, getting to know who owns uh, or who to talk to, uh, how, you know, the, 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 uh, what's the, the organizational structure uh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I would say at 120 days, uh, you should talk about what you've done. So no one likes creating PowerPoints. No one likes doing metrics. At least, you know, no hackers like to sit there in Excel and figure out, you know, what your metrics looks like. No one wants to create presentations, but like I've never seen more effective security than in a company where executives are well-informed about what the actual risk is. Um, so like, Putting on that, putting on your business pants suit and going up to the top floor with your <laughs> with your powerpoints like that. Like it doesn't matter if you if you do like if you have the best security tech and the best security team. It doesn't really matter if no one knows. And uh, so you have to best do you have to be an advocate for your team and for what you've done. Um, I mean, as like a security leader, that should be probably one of the biggest things you do. And then present risk at a high level of what the issues are, and then take that and either get resources for it or get buy-in to accept the risk. Um, but like people have to know what you're doing. You can't just be throwing bugs in the gear and assuming everyone like thinks that security is operating well. So I, uh, <laughs> dropped a little, uh, little pantsuit imagery in our, uh, our, uh, Slack there, our absolute AppSec Slack. Uh, for you, Mike. <laughs> Mis that mysterious. It was either going to be, Arrested development or yes, Michael Scott. Yep. Michael Scott in the office. That time he wore yep. a woman's pantsuit. Yep. Good times. Well, so Seth, I think we have to start wrapping it up. We've been on for a bit. Yeah, we've been on for over an hour at this point. Like it always goes so quick. Um, obviously, Mike, thanks for coming on. Right. The, uh, you sure. know, before you go, um, any last minute thoughts? Like, what's your current favorite, uh, you know, application security tool that you're using? It's mm, a good question. AWS command line. Sweet. <laughs> right. So you do. So so you do. You do have Linux on your resume. Then that's what you're saying. Yes. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. I have something like that. Okay. I mean, it's good. only mine's only four and a half pages though. It's not five. So. Oh. So well, then you're Dang. good. You're good. <laughs> yeah. But I have a lot of infographics, and I also have a. Excel spreadsheet embedded in my resume so people know the full story. Oh, so you've got you've got links to you know documents inside of your resume that they have yeah. to click on. Is that I went I went enterprise. You went enterprise. You're on the obviously. naughty list. <laughs> Sweet. No, no, but thanks for coming on, right? Like uh we'll have you back on because it's you know, this has gone by way too quick. Uh, you know, obviously there's still stuff that we could talk about, um, either on the cloud security side or the you know, the AppSec side and 
talking people through how to get into security is always a good good thing. So, yeah. Um, Ken, did we have anything else that we need to cover? I did order well, t-shirts. Did. Oh, yeah. Oh, good. Yes. Bring that up, please. Yes. Well, are they yeah. tank tops or are they t-shirts? Because if they're no, t-shirts, no, they're, they're, send they're, them back. They're, they're V-neck tops. tank tops. Yeah. V-neck, V-neck tank crop tops. top tank, tank tops. tops. Or tank tops. Yeah. yeah, there you go. They're like those things the guys wear at like Muscle Beach. Like not really there, but they're, yeah. Yeah, great. Now I, now it, I have that image of Ken in my head. That's Fat cool. guy That's cool. in a little shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Ken, do you flex at every mirror you see? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, I suck in my gut. That's what I do. Yeah. Other than that, um, I think you know. So once those get in, we'll start sending them out, especially to people that have been on the show. Right. Uh, that's that's going to be the initial wave we'll send them out to everybody um because we have like 30 people ken that we need to send them to i didn't even think about that um other than that uh the training in appset cali uh ken and i will be doing our excellent adventures again uh, in code review so uh, if you're interested or you're going to be there let us know uh mike what other conferences are you going to be out if people would like to connect with you i'll probably be at appset cali um and so actually, Rinaldi, Rampen, and I are probably putting on a conference, a small conference here in Virginia next year called HopSec. So we run a local group called Nova Beer Sec, which is just like a informal get together. Um, and so we're going to put on a informal conference, which is 50% security talks, 50% beer. Uh, and I hear the great Ken Johnson may be speaking there. Um, and a hundred percent magic. I, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll come. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, he'll have a shirt on, or at least, you know, three quarters of a shirt. Whatever gets the people going, man. Whatever gets the people going. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're gonna be, we're trying to figure out dates for that. It's gonna be informal, but we're hoping to have some good speakers and then just some good beer. So, um, yeah. Then AppSec USA is gonna be out here next year as well. Awesome. When awesome. are you going to announce the, is that going to be like in the new year sometime you guys are going to announce the conference? What? Uh, Hopsec? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Probably early next year. It's not going to be like a, there's not going to be a huge CFP process and all that stuff. It's going to be informal. So people want to show up, it'll be cheap and easy to get to. Yeah. I kind of like that unconf idea that, uh, the, our, our Ruby, Arling- <sighs> Ruby Arlington people put on. Yeah the unconference like you just show up and you can do a talk about something yeah yeah i mean that's probably you know less structured than what you're looking for but it's probably still the same vibe where it's more like hobbyist versus like you know uh vendor sponsored yeah okay yeah i mean yeah i mean i did the oasp thing for a while and that's like too formal too yeah not very it's not always very much fun so i want to do something more chill Makes sense. Good deal. All right. Uh, well, find him on find Mike on Twitter as well, or in our Slack channels. Um, he's all over the place, and we can't seem to get rid of him. So, well, thanks for coming on. You know, sure. Thanks finally. Um, yeah. Anything else, Ken? Before we wrap it up. <laughs> I think we lost and, him. And, yeah. Just that we're just stuck with that beautiful face. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, yeah. Thanks again, Mike. Uh, you know, stay on, but we'll talk to everybody next week. And um, yeah, in the meantime, you know, good app out there. We'll see everybody soon. Thanks.